This is Katadata Podcast, a crafted selection of audio content from katadata.co.id with deep insights and storytelling on Indonesia's current affairs, business, and social issues. Hello, I'm Gundi Chayadi and this is Off the Script, a podcast series for Katadata. Each week, I'll bring you an interview with policymakers, business leaders, and social figures in Indonesia on a range of topics such as economics and financial markets, business and the digital economy, as well as sustainability and social affairs. We hope that this program will be a window for you to embrace and understand Indonesia better. Hello and welcome to another episode of Off the Script with me, Gundi Chayadi. And in today's episode, I'll be talking about carbon credit trading with Darsono Hartono. Darsono is CEO of Rimba Makmur Utama, the company that manages the Katingan Mentaya project. And the Katingan Mentaya is a forest conservation project in central Kalimantan. It produces 7.5 million certified carbon credits annually, making it the largest project of its kind in the world. Welcome to the show, Darsono. Thank you. Thank you, Gundi. Thank you for having me. You know, before before we start proper, um, I just wanted to ask you about how all this started. You know, you, you work in, in the finance uh, world, uh, doing M&A in New York for some years. Um, this was, of course, after you completed your master degree in, in Cornell University. And then you came back to Indonesia. And, and not, not too long after that, you started this A forest conservation project in Kalimantan. Uh, what, what was the motivation? You know, what, what was the driving force back then? So I think um, you know I I was very fortunate to be able to go to school in the U.S. Right. So I graduated in the uh, in 1995 from Cornell. And then I came back to Indonesia for a couple of years and decided to get my master again. So um, again, I'm very fortunate to get a job in New York, working for Pricewaterhouse Coopers and J.P. Morgan. And I was in my mid-20s at that time, right? But I always wanted to come back to Indonesia to be an entrepreneur. I think that's just run in my blood. My dad is an entrepreneur, and I want to be like him. So in uh, 2004, I decided to come back to Indonesia looking for opportunity. And uh, it takes us, it takes me a few years. In 2007, I was uh, looking to do palm oil. I have a friend. That invited me to, to go to Bali uh, to attend a GAPKI, which is the Gabungan Asosiasi Pengusaha Kelapa Sawit Indonesia event in Bali. Yeah, this is this is the Palm Oil Association, right, of Indonesia, yes. Yes, this is the Palm Oil Association. And uh, then I met my business partner, Rezal Kusumat Maja, whom I went to Cornell with. So this is 2007, around September, October. And then uh, he had started his own consulting firm. He said that he's a sustainability consultant. So just to let you know, in 2007, nobody talked about sustainability. He came to me and told me that uh, Darsono, uh, he lives in Bali, right? So I, 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 was, uh, I was there for a two days event with Gapki. And he said, Darsono, why don't you stay for another two nights? Then I want you, I want to learn, I want us to learn about carbon credit. I was like, what is carbon credit, right? So I think uh, that, uh, that uh, offer that I took really changed our life forever for both of us. Uh, you know, we, uh, so we learned about carbon credit. 
But Hazel had an experience in 1998 that uh, you know he was part of uh, a team to really help the government to solve the fire issue. I don't know if you remember 1998. There's a big forest fire. Mm. Yes, yes, yes. This is the, this is the big the big haze in 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 Indonesia. Yeah, the big haze in 1998. And uh, Rezal is the son of Pasarono Kusumar Maja, so his father used to be the minister of environment at that time. So he see how devastating forest fire was. So, and then he said, Darson, I have this new proposition, you know, with this carbon credit is you can actually protect and restore forests, provide sustainable livelihood for the people and make money by selling carbon credit. But of course, carbon credit is not something new at that time, but carbon credit from forestry is totally new. There's a lot of carbon credit from renewable energy, from solar panel, basically governed by Kyoto Protocol. For some of you who are not familiar, Kyoto Protocol is a is a government, um, you know, all by governed by UNFCCC, which is the UN body that uh, basically created the carbon credit market. Then, so I think uh, you know the good news was at that time while we start talking about this idea, Indonesia was the host of the UNFCCC thirteen, which is COP thirteen. So I was, uh, Rezal and I were lucky to be part of, uh, you know, the delegation looking at this space. And I think uh, after that event, we are convinced that we want to restore and conserve forests. Of course, our journey is long. You know, it took us um, uh, six years to get the license. You know, when we start applying the license in 2007, we got the license in 2013. Hence, I was the only employee of my company for six years. And then uh, it take us a few years, uh, five more years to really start getting buyers of credits. And then, you know, now it's now 15 years. Um, uh, what we should be proud of is it is the world largest project in terms of number of credit that we produce. So you mentioned that we produce about 7 million tons of credit a year, making us the largest project today um, in terms of number of credit, not by size. There are a lot of other projects that are bigger than us. So our area is about 157,000 hectares in central Kalimantan uh, in two uh, regions here, or Kabupaten. One is Kota Waringin Timur, the other one is Katingan. So I think, uh, you know, I'm truly blessed and honored to be part of this uh, initiative, we call the Katingan Mentaya Project, coming from two Indonesian have no background in land use, you know, nobody, and uh, we, uh, we can show that we can contribute and yeah. give impact to the world. Yeah, so it's it's amazing story, you know. Uh, uh, I mean, I think in in uh, you you guys been selling these uh, carbon credits to multinational companies, right? Uh, I just want to get a sense in terms of maybe like the last three five years or so, has there been like a surge in that demand? You know, uh, what has been the driving factor in in accelerating the urgencies for these companies, and and perhaps also maybe about. Companies in Indonesia, are, are you seeing uh, more interest from companies who are, who are based in Indonesia? So it is a very interesting question. I remember, you know, I started in 2007, you know, it took us six years to get our license. But during that time, when I talk to people, you know, uh, I talk to my friends, you know, and sometimes they bring their kids uh, to dinner with, uh, with us. And then uh, they say, wow, this is good. You're doing great thing, right? You're doing what NGO does. That's what they always told me. Uh, you save the forest, you help the people, and nobody knows whether you're going to make money or not, right? So I think, uh, in a sense, uh, every time I talk to my friends, it was like, Darsono, 
can you make money? Is there chuan in here? You know, where is the chuan in this, right? And I said, I'm sorry, I'm still struggling. And in the meantime, I, I you know, while we're having this conversation, their kids will say that, Uncle Darsono, I know one day you'll make money. This is the right thing to do. So uh, fast forward a few years, I mean, starting from 2007, you start seeing all this initiative. I think the past five years, you start seeing there's a change of mindset. I think not only the thinking of doing great things like saving the forest, providing sustainable uh, living for the communities are good, but we need to pay for it. I think there's a lot of mindset in the past it's like, oh, it's a great initiative, but nobody's willing to pay, right? So I think uh, it's also because of three things. I think there are real impact of climate change that people realize. You know, all you know, look at the U.S. having fire, Europe having fire. All these things are become reality for a lot of people. And uh, the fact is, uh, you know, corporate and private sector also needs to do something to change this. Right? They have to solve this climate change issue. Hence, they are being pressured by their customer, which are the millennials, like I mentioned to you, like my friend's kid, who really understand this and think that this should be something that they have to have priority on. Right? So then there's a mindset change of, okay, we have to solve this issue. Right? And then hence, private company start looking into what we call the net zero claim today. Right? I think it's, a, it's drive because of the needs. It's also by their consumers, maybe by their bankers. So all this net zero commitment that they have, you know, create this carbon market because we all know, you know, a company cannot suddenly become net zero today or in net zero 10 years from now without a transitional period, right? You know, there's, there's so much you have to do in the next five, 10 years. Hence, this transitional period, you need an offset, which is what we're selling, right? This offset provides sort of like a bridge. You know, if you are saying, you know, some people will say that, okay, we broke our leg and we need to have a crutch. So this offset is a crutch for you to be able to walk again. So I think that's, hence, that become sort of like a driving force of the demand side from the corporates, right? In the meantime, the project like us also are evolving uh, the past 15 years. There is a perception that project like us, because it's big, it's run by private sectors, it's a new neocolonialism. In a way, like, oh, your people are land banking. But I think throughout these 15 years, Katingan Mentai Project can prove transparently how we work with community, how we gain trust from community, and all this stuff. It's actually a new way of doing business. This business is about selling reputation. It's about selling records, track records. So, and it can be monitored. This is one of the most transparent business in terms of what we do. So hence, you know, you, as a private sector developers, people start seeing that we actually are adding values to the project instead of making all the money that they claim that we could have. And then thirdly, I think the millennials, uh, you know, just like I'm, I'm, you are a millennial. So no, I think no, no, I'm understand. I'm getting <laughs> <laughs> so they understand this more than our generation, right? I think they, they, they really care for this issue. So, um, and more importantly, we also see that all these company that have pledges in their net zero commitment are also seriously doing the decarbonization in their supply chain, right? It's not just like the old days is, uh, they are very, a lot of NGO are very worried about offset is because company like the oil and gas company can still continue to expand and then they'll just continue to pollute and they'll buy offset sort of like to neutralize it. 
But I think you see that all of these oil and gas companies already have a trajectory of how they want to be net zero. So hence all these things, you know, these three aspects from a change of behavior of a company, from, you know, a, 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 a proof of concept that projects like us are helping the communities and the mindset of the millennial changed this whole, uh, you know, dynamic. Hence, the market finally arrived three to four years ago. So if you look at this, it's, it's, it's important that uh, we have to look at this trend in terms of this net zero, not purely a claim by the government, by the company. It's happening. Be, it's happening. It's happening. It's happening. It's happening and it has to be real. Mm. And I think nature-based solution, which is what we do, can contribute to this transitional period. Yeah. Yeah. How, how, how about companies in Indonesia, Darsono? Are you seeing more interest, you know, more willingness to, to sort of learn about these carbon credits and so on? I think there are more and more companies, especially that have been invested in fossil fuel, start looking at this space as an opportunity. And some of them have even gone through claiming the net zero. So I think you will see this trend coming in, not only from the international company, but I think more and more Indonesian company wants to do that. Even the technology company, you know, see this opportunity because um, it's the right thing and it's a good thing yeah, to do. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now you know. You know. I'll I'll talk more about that net zero and the transition period. But at this time, I just want to thank you also for you know. I think Katingan Mentaya um, did a lot of good projects in in the in the society, right? I mean, I I am I have Dayak blood with me, so my ancestors are, are Dayaks from Kalimantan, and you know. So personally, it also it also um, speaks to me. And I just want to get a sense in terms of the community outreach that you do in the project. There's so no if you could uh, maybe share one or two that 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 are very special in 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 your heart. So I think you know um, one thing about running a nature-based solution project is it's not about the carbon; it's about the people, because this is about how we can change behavior of people on the ground that is destructive into restorative or into, you know, conserving. So I think that's a challenge that we're facing today because some of us are so used to doing things that are destructive, you know, treating um, environment as a free goods that you can take, right? So I think, uh, but I, I, I want to share you a little example why, how, you know, my interaction with community also in the meantime helped me and encouraged me to continue. So as you know, uh, it took us six years to get our license, right? <clears throat> so those first six years are one of the most challenging six years of my life. Um, my wife, who is a great supporter, without her, this project doesn't exist. You know, after like three years, uh, you know, <clears throat> being the only entrepreneur, the only employee of my company, she'll come to me and said, what's the prospect of the business? You know, I mean, she works in finances like you. There's a term called cut loss. You want to cut loss, you cut loss, right? I mean, you know, then you move on. And um, I remember she was like, you know, giving me that. And I said, okay, I know. I, I always tell her, to wait for another year. But it's also because of my experience in the village one day. I was actually taking a boat from a, basically from a smaller village, you know, to a kecamatan. And then uh, I took a boat, right? which is a private boat. So it, it, just to give you a perspective, our area, area 157,000 hectares, they have two rivers along it. You know, community live along the river. So, you know, I'm actually or look, we're commuting from one village to another village, have to go by river. So I took a boat and uh, it's actually from Desa to Kecamatan. So in the boat ride, I, you know, it was me and a girl who is a high school student. 
because if you know in Indonesia, not all desa will have high school. Like usually SMI to high school will be in a kecamatan usually, right? So she was taking a boat, right? And then this is a private boat, uh, just a small boat just across the river. And then uh, I was talking to her and I said, you know, uh, yeah, you go to school. Do you like school? And she enjoys school. She wants to be a teacher, which I think I find to be very noble. And then, uh, you know, as she walked out from the boat, I didn't see her paying the boat owner. I think it was like a 1,000 or 2,000 rupiah at that time, right? As I walk out, I have to pay. Right? Which is fine. This is a public, uh, this is private transportation. So I was curious and I asked the boat owner, how come she didn't pay and I have to pay? And then this is what um, he answered that really made me think to go back to my wife and tell her, give me another year. He said, but she's going to school. It's good that she wants to go to school. We should not charge somebody if they want to go to school to get education. So suddenly in my head, I thought, wow, these communities are willing to help each other. And with the presence of Katingan Mantai Project, we will even make this better. Mm. So with there's, there's like, like the social responsibility. We did, yeah, this, so the, the, this is it's like, wow, I can do yeah. this and I can, you know, we can do better together, right? So hence, I go to my wife the next day. I said that, babe, can you give me another year to do this? So these are the things that I see, uh, the interaction with community that give me hope and give me strength. I mean, it's a, people ask me, how, can it, how, how is it possible that you can wait? You, you, you work by yourself for six years with no income, 10 years with no income. So a lot of these things that happen, I think it's uh, you know, by the, maybe by design from God. I'm thankful for that. It's like, give me strength. You know, it's not easy when you are, you know, of course, I, I told you my wife is my, yeah. my hero because yeah. she's, she's the one who she's, she's also the first investor, Padasono. She's the first investor <laughs> in the company. <laughs> That's for for that six years, she's the first investor. <laughs> so I think, uh, you know, uh, I really, really are grateful. We are, you know, we, we're really grateful. I mean, Rezal and I were really grateful because we were given opportunity. We have, uh, you know, and we can show to the world that the impact that we have given. I mean, Katingan Mentai Project has shown that we have, you know, done, uh, even though we're still learning, is how we can work with community transparently, provide, you know, uh, all this benefit, all this impact that we can. And I think, you know, we are looking to do a lot of innovation project uh, in coming years uh, with the carbon money that we receive that we can leapfrog from a traditional, for example, farming or you know basically fishery program into something in more innovative or more you know more restorative that we call it so um, looking really looking forward it's exciting to be in this space I think uh, the awareness is, is is finally here I mean it took us 15 years to build this but I think uh, uh, we are very hopeful and very optimistic that it's gonna there are more there are more cutting on entire project from others that it's gonna enhance and uh, you know uh, uh, our natural resources in the future. There's no, you know, this this uh, angle of the social and 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 the, you know the impact to the society is this really what separates the quality of cutting uh, and mentaya carbon credits? Because I, I, I remember you, you know you mentioned that uh, you guys are the biggest uh, um, of its kind, right? I mean, others do with like renewable energy or waste to energy and and so on. Um, 
I just want to get a sense, like, what separates the quality of of the carbon credits from cutting? And is that the the community um, angle of it, or I don't know, is, is there something else that makes the carbon credits so, more so, competitive? Yeah. So, so there's a carbon credit from renewable energy, just like you mentioned, right? I think there are also carbon credit from what we call nature-based solution. More and more people looking to invest nature-based solution carbon credit is not only that we are talking about saving the climate issue by protecting the forest, conserving the forest, restoring the forest, but more importantly, it's about how we can provide inclusive opportunity for the society and communities. The reason why it works is like there are three things that a carbon credit has to fulfill, a project has to fulfill in order to be able to produce credit. First one is called permanence. So you have to have a permanent of what you're planning to do. In this case, you know, our area, we are looking to conserve and restore for the next 60 years. So technically, the idea is you cannot just today conserve, tomorrow cut, today, you know, it's like it has to have a clear plan of what you have to do and minimal 20 years. The second principle, which is what a uh, very important principle, is called additionality. Additionality is this principle of what would happen to this area without your intervention and with your intervention. I'll give you an example where a national park in America, what they call it, Yosemite National Park, will not be qualified as a carbon credit because whatever your intervention is, the trees will not, cannot be cut anyway. So there's nothing that you do that is additional. Right? But in Indonesia, if you want to restore a forest, it's very additional. Right? In the way you plant trees, trees absorb uh, carbon, those are the carbon that you produce. In the meantime, in Indonesia as well, if you can conserve an area that legally can be, in the past, legally can be converted into uh, pulp and paper as well as palm oil, then you have the additionality. Right? So you can, what you're doing is you are, you are, protecting the potential emission. Hence, you know, this potential emission over the next 60 years can be quantified. If you can protect and restore that, you will be allowed to get the carbon credit that you produce. That's why it's called carbon credit, you see. So carbon credit on NBS have two kinds. One is from conservation activities. The other one is from restoring uh, restoration activities. The third principle that I want to mention is the key to all of this is something called leakage. Leakage basically is a premise based on if because of your intervention, community move elsewhere and deforest, you don't get credit. Ah, because then it's it's so, it's the same, right? It's it's useless. What you are doing is it's useless. But not only that, is this provision is actually protecting the inclusive part. But so hence, as a project developer, what you need to do is you have to make sure that communities are involved. And they don't deforest. So you have to work with that, right? If, if they deforest elsewhere, you don't get the credit. So this one is the most important part. Hence, it becomes the center core of the whole issues, right? It's about how you work with communities that they will change their behavior from a deforesting activity into non-deforesting activity. And lastly, I think the benefit of natural nature-based solution, not only from a climate for community, but it's also biodiversity, right? Because a lot of these forests have huge biodiversity. So I think there is, uh, you know, finally, uh, people start seeing the benefit of investing in NBS because not only talking about climate, but there are people aspect of it as well as biodiversity aspect of it. And of course, 
even among MBS, there are a lot of different project developers, how they react, right? How they do. But I think uh, one thing about KMP is we are always transparent about what we do. We work with communities. We treat them like a equal partners. I think those are the big basic principles to run a good, high-quality MBS project. And we see that it around the world as well. The good quality is the one that really can uh, show a track record of the project developers, how they have done more than five years of track record, you know, consistently helping the communities, transparently working with them, showing all the results. So this business, I have to say, might not be for everyone because it required a very clear uh, mission you know it required a long term commitment and it has to be transparent you see and more importantly sometimes people always judge what you do in the past so in the past you have done into a lot of bad things and you want to do good things some people don't like it as well right so i think this is the the reality that i want to share with uh, the audiences NBS is a great product. I think this is something that can change the world. But it's not as easy as you think it is. Just like every other business, right? I mean, you know, people always look at the great side that, you know, producing credit, uh, receiving money. But I think they don't see the part of how you have to work hard, consistently, persistently with communities and show results as well. I guess guess that, that third principle, the leakage, it really forces you into like a long-term engagement with the community, right? Because it's not just touch and go. You know, you we want to make sure that you change the way people live in that community. I think I think that's the key that not many people will be able to 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 do. That's or no? Yeah, I think absolutely. I think that's a, the thing that people have to see the mindset. I mean, I Brazil and I, you know, personally have visited all the villages. I mean, I am, uh, you know, I even become the PIC for community. So, you know, I give them my handphone number and they can contact me anytime. I think, uh, you know, it, it is a change of mindset. It's a new paradigm of doing business where we as a private sector uh, can actually contribute and in, help. In, in, in a way, I think uh, you guys um, uh, become part of that community, right? I think in, in some ways, in many ways, I think you, you've become part of that community. Yeah, I think we, we, we have to be. We have to be part of the community and we have to be humble to learn from them. I think one thing about this project that I, I learned over time is, you know, there's so many local wisdom that we can learn from the Dayak people. And I think for us is to enhance it and to become to make it more productive, right? I think the key is to to make sure that, for example, for farmers where they have lack of finance, their lack of market, their lack of capacity we built. That's how I, I, I did. I mean, you know, we started our initiative of climate smart agriculture back in 2013 or 14. And I talked to like 500 farmers. And um, when they, guess how many farmers were interested when I tried to pitch this idea? Guess, guess, how, many, guess how many farmers are interested out of 500 that I meet? Uh, I don't know. 10? <laughs> only two only two oh my goodness because oh, i think they're, they're not used to right yeah, to, to basically what we're teaching them is no chemical no yeah, burning yeah. Right? so i think for them it's like oh my goodness this is so yeah. different i think but now we have a, a agroecology school you know i think we just like i said our mindset when we run a project like this is to see how we can enhance their productivity transform i mean you know leapfrogging you know that's why innovation can be very key to this is to to work together with communities 
in a way, we want to disrupt, but not changing the behavior totally, right? I mean, in, in disrupt in a positive way, of course. Darsono, you know, I'm just curious because uh, Indonesia is, uh, has some of the world's biggest uh, rainforests, right? And um, I just want to get your sense in terms of the potential for carbon trading in Indonesia, be it, uh, uh, you know, renewable energy or nature-based solutions like yourself. Uh, I think some estimates globally, um, you know, assume that global markets can reach like, I don't know, $850 billion US dollars and so on. Uh, and many believe Indonesia will be among the largest in the world, right? Um, you, you have any thoughts about that? Like what's the potential for carbon markets in, in Indonesia? I think uh, if you look at, I mean, we are we are selling our carbon credit to the voluntary market, right? I mean, last year, I think uh, they, they have hit a billion dollars, which is still in the infancy. I think we're still in the infancy of this market. And I think uh, nature-based solution is uh, is something that Indonesia can contribute. Uh, we have vast majority of forests, mangrove, ocean. I think, you know, it's really about how we can work together as a country in terms of how we can contribute through our National Determined Contribution, or NDC, our commitment to the world. And I think how we're going to complement that with a market approach, you know, working B2B, creating that, uh, you know, uh, path for investment uh, for international investor or even domestic investor to contribute to Indonesian NDC. So the, uh, the, the potential is huge. This, you know, they say that a lot of people said, even Paluhut said that Indonesia can be a climate superpower, which I strongly agree. In the meantime, we just have to work uh, uh, with the government in terms of putting the right policy to enable that condition to happen. Uh, I mean, since 2007, uh, how many, I don't know, in Indonesia, how many uh, similar projects like Katingan Mentaya have actually evolved, Padasono? Do you have a- any any sense of? I think the, the, if you look at the registry itself, right? I mean, this this business is very transparent. So the registry is where all you know, all happen and all the standard uh, certification and such. I think there are three projects in the world today from Indonesia that have gone through certification that is coming from forestry. But I think outside forestry, there's another 10 that are, you know, from a renewable energy that get voluntary carbon uh, market certification. So, like, again, this is still, the process is quite cumbersome. It takes a long time. It took us more than two years to get our first credit verified. But but hopefully the, the standard body can also become more efficient in terms of getting the project online. Okay, I, I I want to come back to that um, uh, net zero emission and the fact that it's it's the crucial transition period for many companies, right? Like you mentioned, it's almost uh, impossible to force uh, a company to suddenly become uh, net zero overnight, right? There needs to be a transition, and the carbon ma- carbon market uh, provides that 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 transition is is like the walking crutches that you mentioned. Um, has there been any I don't know, you know, success stories or, or examples of how uh, you have helped uh, one or two companies to slowly move towards their, their net zero emission uh, targets, Darsono? Um, I think yeah, a lot of this, the good news about all these companies that are making net zero commitment, you can see them. They have, they have to transparently, uh, you know, share what they do with the public. So I think there's a lot of, uh, I, I feel like there are a few companies that have bought credit from us have transformed that. I mean, they become more 
uh, transparent in terms of what they do. And I think once they start that journey, they see the benefit coming from the customer, coming from their banker. So I think there is a, a, a it's like a reinforcing of good things happen when once you start because a lot of people are in the beginning quite skeptical with this whole upset idea but i think working together with uh, with our client we have client that will come to visit our site and really understand and see the challenge of what we do and then you know they can convey that to the customer you know and the customer understand it so i think um this like i said mbs is still early infancy but i think uh, with uh, the fact that everybody is really seeing this as something that is beneficial for the world for community and biodiversity we can um, scale this up you can scale this up you know in 5 10 years from now indonesia can be a major player on this space you know uh, providing the uh, carbon credit from this sector and i think uh, you know uh, it is finally time that the world have to start thinking about how we move forward I think, uh, you know, I can share with you a quote from a historian, uh, Thomas Berry. He said that for human to be able to live forever, yeah. we need to have a transformative effort to change the human-earth relationship from a disruptive and destructive interaction to a benign and mutually enhancing one. I think that's the reality is I think, you know, human, because we are the creation of God, that we think that we are the most powerful creature on earth, right? So we can do whatever we want, you know? So in the way that we, we think that we, we can do whatever we want, we don't have this mindset that we should be a benign one with nature. Right? So you see that all this COVID coming in, all these things. So... The, uh, what we're trying to propose from what we learned from Katingan Mentai project is maybe it's time for us to move from the smartest creature on earth into the steward creature on earth. In a way, when you have a stewardship mindset, you never right. think that you own it. Yeah, you have a responsibility right? I mean, to, take care to, of it. to take care of it and give it to your next generation. So I think that's what we're trying to do is to maybe with this example, we can start inspiring others that we have to have that stewardship mindset, right? Otherwise, you know, they will, whatever we lost, we might not be able to recoup again. Mm -hmm. Darsono, I'm curious, you know, like uh, all these years you are involved in this project, you learn a lot more about uh, uh, climate change, about environment, protecting them and so on. Has that changed the way you live? Has that changed the way, you know, your family uh, live on daily life? I mean, on a personal personal side <laughs> i think i think for me i i the more i learn about this the more i feel that i have to be humble with nature right i think nature is something that we should not take it for granted right i think these are the things that we have to do you know we don't you know we should not take it for granted that we feel that we own nature that we can do whatever we want so the more i learn about this the more i feel like i just you know we are just we're just small part of the yeah, universe yeah, we have yeah. to be humble. We have so much to learn right so much to learn we have, okay. and we still have so much to learn okay 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 um you know coming back to to your point about how indonesia has so much more potential going forward and 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 whatnot um i want to ask your opinion about uh, government policies, right? I, I mean, you mentioned in five years' time, we will probably be a major player in, in carbon market. Um, how is the the development? I mean, I, I think the government is starting to 
sort of take notice of this, you know, with the uh, proposed carbon tax uh, coming along in Indonesia and so on. How, how do you think government policies are moving along to support the development of carbon credit, be it a voluntary one like like yourself or something that is more compliant right, in hmm. Indonesia? I think, as you know, that there's a presidential decree passed last October, basically for the economic value of carbon. So I think currently the government is working on putting the executing regulation in terms of how we can work together to achieve our NDC, you know, creating a market and how we can also, you know, uh, work with private sectors or NGO or even communities to get that to get this benefit. So I still we're still waiting for that regulation to come out and hopefully it'll come out soon. But I think, you know, the government uh, is more and more and they, they they are very open they i think they 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 see potential of indonesia to achieve the ndc or priorities like the ndc and put, working together to create a market so i think i'm looking forward to see that uh, regulation to come out yeah so it, it seems like the government is embracing this idea right uh it's, it's starting to acknowledge that there is a room to to play and the fact that we are still at the infancy stage Right, I think they they also want to participate and and try to see how to make this more, uh, maybe efficient and 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 so on. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I think the, the 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 you see that. I mean, even the headlines. I mean, even the president the president makes uh, mm-hmm. a statement that we want to be the center of the carbon market. Right. A lot of policy are, are going to be driven from his statement. So right. I think uh, you know we're looking forward right. to right. see that uh, policy to come right. out. Okay, okay. But you know, you know the the one thing there's to know, uh, and I think you you mentioned this briefly uh, earlier in our conversation. Uh, it's the suspicion about carbon credit market, and I think when we learn about carbon uh, credit market uh, elsewhere in the world, uh, there is also sometimes question about the monitoring process, right? The verification process. Um, could you um, maybe explain a little bit about about that process and? How confident you are uh, going forward that in Indonesia we can have, you know, a, a very solid standard of monitoring and verification process. I think there's a lot of, of course, you know, one thing about carbon credit is, it's a big challenge for a lot of people because we're selling services, right? There is no physical product, so hence a lot of people can be skeptical. Some people can say yes, it's the right thing. So I think it's about how we can put a standards in terms of monitoring together. But I'm optimistic because when I started this journey, I was sort of like the one of the trailblazer and my <laughs> the only one. The only one. one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, like starting this, um, you know. But the good news is, once this proof of concept worked, we start seeing a lot of technology company are investing in this space to create the ecosystem and monitor what we do. So hence, you know, the MRV, like you mentioned, you know, monitoring, reporting, and verifying what we do become key. And technology is the one is going to drive this in a way that there's nothing you can hide on this. I mean, this is not a business. I mean, a lot of people are skeptical with uh, with MBS projects, especially in a country like uh, where democracy is not important in Africa and they think they can play whatever it is. But I think that can be solved now because the technology that we have. They can monitor it live. If they claim that, you know, I mean, the old days is, oh, I don't cut trees. It's like, okay, who knows what they're talking about and we have to trust it. Now, you can go to satellite and say, nope, you're cutting five trees yesterday. So a lot of this technology are actually enhancing the whole MRV. 
that we see. And I think we a lot of companies today are racing to create the best platform, you know, I mean, to, to monitor and to give rating to company like us in terms of what we do. So then you can see that market interact, right? You have the, you know, they have a check and balances. So, you know, I cannot just claim this, you know, that I'm doing all this because somebody else will monitor. Same thing with the net zero commitment. Gundi. I think there will be, when companies start making net zero commitment, now they are actually technology company will monitor if that company is delivering it or not. So I think, you know, uh, technology is really the variable that can change this and it can enhance this and it, it can fast track this movement if we want to be able to achieve. So I think if Indonesia is trying to, you know, while Indonesia is building the registry, the certification, they, we, I'm very optimistic that technology will play a significant role in terms of getting the certification, getting the verification done. Yeah, and, and it's actually in, 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 in the benefit of projects like, like Cutting and Mentaya to embrace these technological changes, right? Because then it's, it's so much easier to, to sort of, uh, in, in the process of the MRV, monitoring, reporting, and the verification. Yeah, I think it took, I mean, just to give you an example, like, you know, it, it took us maybe 10, even 10 to 11 months to get our verification usually. So with the, hopefully with technology, we can, uh, you know, we can make it shorter, we can cut it down. And then you know, it's about how we can create a standardized, you know, method of how we do this MRV. I think the world is moving together in terms of seeing this as an opportunity. There's a lot of technology company now you know, basically uh, getting funding, Series A, Series B. And I think, you know, the evaluation has gone up significantly. Just their job is just to do and monitor what we do. So I think we, we, it, is a, it is an exciting time for, for, for this space. There's uh, no, you know, uh, we are coming towards the end of, of the, um, the show, but I just want to get your sense in terms of your five-year plan. You know, obviously... Uh, You've gone through a lot, right? You've gone through well. Your wife has gone through a lot as well. Uh, what What's the five year plan for, uh, uh, you know, Rimba Makmur? I mean, uh, is there any idea to sort of go to like another part of Indonesia, or are you going to to be more focused, still focused at, at Katingan to develop that? Um, if you could share that with me, hmm. I think the key right now, the the next five years are going to be one of the most interesting time for Katingan Mentai project. We still have a lot of things that we want to implement, right? You know, basically, we want to, um, not only that we are talking sustainability, we are actually looking into restorative economy now, how we can restore what we have damaged, right? So I think the next five years with all the carbon income that we receive, we'll be able to implement this. It's already a full-time work and it's exciting. You know, we, we, that we, we are looking to, to implement a, a, a new technology soon in terms of producing albumin from uh, ikan gabus or snakefish head, you know, in a village, you know, combining renewable energy. And then we're looking for an area we want to do doing a restorative economy zone. So there's a lot of plan ahead for five years. I think uh, in the meantime, if you ask me, Will I be looking for expansion? I mean, as a as an entrepreneur, uh, we can never say no to expansion, right? We will be happy to look at it and see if there's any opportunity. But I think uh, more importantly is we we want we welcome and want to encourage uh, other private sectors to be involved in this space because I think there's a tremendous uh, potential. Uh, not only that, uh, you know, creating profit for the company, but more importantly, creating impact to the environment and to the society. So I think that's, a, you know, I think um, 
there's a lot of uh, studies shown that for company to be able to sustain for the next hundred years, it, they need to have a purpose, and profit cannot be purpose, right? Profit is not a purpose anymore. I mean, I grew up in a time where shareholders' value is about how much earning you make every quarter. I think now you have shareholder value that have changed in the way that you have a purpose. And the purpose that uh, people talk about usually cover two big things, whether it's solving the climate change issue or solving the inequality issue. So I think the good news about project like Cutting and Mataya project, we actually do both, right? We are helping, uh, you know, the solving the climate change as well as, uh, you know, working inclusively with community. So those are the opportunity that I think, uh, you know, for here to stay. One thing that I want to also welcome uh, all my colleagues in the private sectors is when we get into new business, we always think about how we're going to underwrite our cash flow. Do you know that, right? How are we going to value cash flow, whether it's a discounted cash flow method, what kind of PE that we have, what kind of EBITDA that we have. More on the monetary numbers. But one thing that people are not familiar with, which I think that in the future they will, is how to measure impact. I, I can tell you like what we do is very impactful, but nobody knows how to value it. But I feel sooner or later, if a project is not providing positive cash flow, doesn't have an EBITDA that you want it to be, but it show impact. That matrix can be something that will they, be measured differently. Yeah. Something that you can just sell, like basically. That you can sell. Yeah. Like, it's just like the tech company, they can say that they're losing money, but somehow people can value them. I think these impact variables will be more and more scrutinized and more and more used in the future. So hence, I welcome other private sectors. Uh, you know, When you get into a project that have clear impact, but it's not profitable, uh, maybe it's uh, take a leap of faith and plunge. And then uh, in the future, I'm optimistic that yeah, you, you will have a good valuation yes, and value. Yes. I mean, I, I think uh, the landscape is changing there. So no, I mean, the concept of ESG, right? Like uh, environment, sustainability, governance, that that how, how companies are being scored, how finance is also moving towards like ESG uh, investing and so on. Uh, that will also help uh, the, the entire ecosystem and help uh, companies like yourself who are who are really working hard to try to make impact uh, on the ground. Uh, just one last question, you know, uh, you, you mentioned about this purpose uh, for, for companies and so on. Uh, and, and I think you mentioned also earlier on how, about how pers- pers- perspective of the younger generation, the millennials, um, they, they are more willing to embrace that. Um, have you seen a shift in terms of trying to get talents uh, to the company or to the project that you're working at Kantingan Mentaya? Is it, I'm sure it's easier now or compared to uh, 2010, for example, to get people to help you. <laughs> so I, I, I'm actually welcome all this younger generation, right? Every time they interview uh, with us, they see that because we have purpose, we have a clear, uh, you know, um, uh, guidance of what we do and they want to be part of this right i think uh, i i, I want to share with you uh our rimba mamurutama recently just got a certification for b corp b corp is an international certification from us that basically look into all this aspect of esg uh, i mean not, there are not that many company uh, get this certification but we are one of the uh, few in indonesia that get it and we have a high score you know with this kind of certification the award that we see we are very fortunate that we can get the best talent. 
Because the talent today, not only looking at how much money they're making, the talent today would like to work for a purpose as well. So I think, uh, I, you know, I, I really hope that the company also see this because a lot of, uh, I hear one of my friends, you know, decided to get out from coal business because his daughter said, his daughter <laughs> is uh, yeah. uh, uh, ashamed that uh, his father is in coal business. But these are the th- changes that we see, right? I mean, you know, uh, you really have to come from, I mean, to, to recruit all this great talent, the company also have to evolve because people, you know, I, I, I know some candidate would be like asking, okay, I want to work for you, but what's your carbon footprint? Wow. Yes, yes. They, they're really serious right. about that. And, exactly. uh, I, 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 and again, you know, RMU, we are very fortunate. We get a lot of people wanting yeah. to work for us. Some of them want to even work voluntarily right. because I think uh, they see there's a bigger purpose of what we're yeah, trying yeah, to achieve. Yeah. It's, it's not just money these days, right? There is that purpose. and There's you know, that purpose driven. And I think, you know, feel good about what you do. I think at the end of the day, the younger generations want to get that for purpose-filled satisfaction. Because I think the older generation is about dollars, but now the younger generation is about feeling uh, useful yeah. or have a purpose. Right. Well, thank you very much. You know, I mean, obviously, uh, uh, like you said, I think this is an exciting field, and I feel excited talking to you. And and you know, hopefully, like you said, the next five years we're gonna see more and more changes in in, in this uh, in this space. And I'm looking forward, uh, there's or no to to. I'm not sure. Maybe. You know, uh, if I get a chance, uh, I would also want to visit uh, the Cutting and Mentaya and and take the boat with you just to get an experience of that. Uh, although, of course, it's going to be different than what it was in two thousand seven. <laughs> Thank you for coming to the show and and sharing sharing with us. I think that has been a wonderful, wonderful uh, session for me. You're welcome, and uh, thank you for giving the opportunity. Okay, thank you, and that has been another episode of Off the Script with me, Gundi Chayadi. Thank you very much. I'm your host, Gundi Chayadi. Thank you for listening Off The Script Podcast from Katadata. You can listen Katadata Podcast on our website, katadata.co.id, Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, and even Katadata Indonesia YouTube channel.